Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? We're going to start off by talking about the box. Does anybody have a guess as to what is in this box? Uh, does anybody want to know what's in the box? H has anybody ever opened a box and been disappointed by what you saw in the box? Anybody ever been disappointed? Okay, this box is not very heavy. One time I uh, caught a snake when I was a kid in the backyard, put it in a shoebox, and then I brought it inside my house and poked a hole in the top so it could have air. And then I looked in that box a few hours later, and I was very surprised because <laughs> that snake was not in the box anymore. It was in the house. Y you're not going to know exactly what's in the box when I open it, but I am going to open it and create some intrigue here. There's nothing inside the box, but I will show you this. It has a very unique lid. Now, here is my challenge for you. At the end of my sermon, I'm going to tell you what the function of this box is, and I'm going to tell you the exact name of this box. It has a particular name. And here's my challenge for you. I have a $20 bill right here. If over the course of the sermon you can figure out what this box is called, I will give you this $20 bill. So I'm going to set this to the side here, and then I'm going to move on with my message. Most of you aren't going to hear my message because you're going to be Googling about what this box is, but that is all right. Let me, let me say this as, as I get going. Next week, we've been announcing this for a few weeks, but the plan is still in place next week, October 4th, uh, to go inside the building. Uh, so when that happens, a few things you need to know. The time is going to change from 8.30 to 9.30, so one hour later next week. Secondly, masks are going to be required as they are in most indoor uh, businesses and, and restaurants around the city. So those are two things to note for next week. A final thing I'll mention is we have a committee that meets pretty much every week monitoring uh, COVID statistics around the state and trying to make decisions about how to have safe gatherings at Memorial Road. And so that, that group is going to continue to meet. And so we appreciate your flexibility. They're, they're specifically right now monitoring the, the, the rise of numbers in Oklahoma that we've seen over the last week or two. So be flexible as we move forward. The plan now is to go indoors one week from today, October 4th. Uh, this is the final sermon in a series that we've been calling Disruptive Witness. We started it three weeks ago, and just to, to recap, uh, or I guess two Sundays ago, I preached a sermon, and the big point was that the Great Commission was actually built for times of great disruption, so this is a great opportunity for the gospel to be spread. Uh, last week, Andy talked about the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8, and he talked about the power of proximity, that it tends to be the people that you're close to or in proximity with that you have the opportunity to reach for, for Jesus. And so... This week, this final message in the series, I begin with this story. A few weeks ago, uh, I'm swimming with my daughters at my aunt's house, Mary Ann Rosenbaum, and when we get to her backyard, she's sitting on her deck reading letters. And I look at these letters, and they, they're, they have a yellowish tint to them, so I can tell they're pretty old. And I sit down, and I say, what are you, what are you reading? And she said, these are letters that my grandmother, Ruby, wrote to my father, Ferris. So Marianne's grandmother, Ruby, and her father, which would be my grandfather, Ferris, these were letters going back and forth. Uh, the time period was World War II. So my grandfather was, was fighting in the war, and he was writing letters to home, and then and Ruby would write back. And so I sat on that porch, and I started reading these letters, and it's pretty amazing. 
So Ruby, a lot of the content of her letters was what, what you'd expect. It was a mother missing her son. And she would write about all the things going on at home. She would tell him about what her sister was doing. And the letters that he sent back to her were really fascinating. He would talk about what it was like to be at war. And there was one particular letter that, that caught my attention. I, I brought it with me this morning, and I want to read you an excerpt from this letter. So this letter was written December 29th. 1944. And for those of you that know your history really well, this was written during the largest and bloodiest U.S. battle in the war, the Battle of the Bulge. And, and it's one of the most famous battles in World War II, largely because more uh, people died in that battle than any other battle, at least a battle that the U.S. fought in. So there was a, a total of 180,000 casualties in this particular battle. So here's what my grandfather wrote to his mother while he was in that battle. He said, I know you've been wondering why I have not been writing you lately, but I just haven't had the chance. I can't tell you much about what I've been doing, but I've seen some action. Believe me, a man cannot realize what hell is until he sees it. It's been a good Christmas, or at least as well as could be expected. I spent Christmas Eve night and day in a foxhole. Maybe you think that wasn't such a nice place, but I wouldn't take a million dollars for that foxhole. And what he meant by that was in the middle of this battle with cold terrain, he had found that one of the only sources of comfort were, for him was that he could crawl in this foxhole to escape the enemy fire that was rattling through the trees where he was. When I read this letter, I was, I was pretty astonished for, for multiple reasons. One is, is just his, his attitude. Like, what are you going to do when you're away from home? It's Christmas. You're in the middle of the woods. You're freezing cold. And there's enemy fire flying over your head. Well, you can find something to be grateful for. He was at least grateful for a foxhole. And so I know that a lot of us continue to complain about this year, and it's been a hard year, but if he can find something to be grateful for in the middle of the Battle of the Bulge, I think we can find something to be grateful for as well. The second reason I found this letter so, so just astonishing is that it just reminded me the links that people will go to connect with one another. If you take out you know, all the stuff about the war and the battle, this is just... A mom and a son trying to connect. It's a mother who misses her 20-year-old boy and a 20-year-old boy who misses his mom, and they're going to great lengths to bridge that gap, to cover the distance. And so one of the reasons I love Mission Sunday is because what we do on Mission Sunday is we try to cover the distance across the world to people that we care about. If you think about it, our, our missionaries all over the world are, are in some ways similar to people in the military who get sent overseas. They're on a mission. And in the same way that, that military people get very lonely when they're taken away from their home for long periods of time, our missionaries get so lonely because they don't have the, the relational and the spiritual resources at their disposal that many of us do and that we take for granted to in the middle of the U.S., in the middle of the Bible Belt. And so I love today because what we're going to try to do is bridge the gap. 
We're going to try to cover the distance to let these people know that we love them and we're thinking about them. I want to look at a story today that, where, where we find these characters in Scripture that go to great lengths to bridge the gap. Acts chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, we read these words. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So this is a pretty famous story, and, and a few things to point out as we begin. First, this city, Caesarea, is a big deal. It was right on the coast, a lot of Trade routes went through this city, hotbed of Greco-Roman culture. They had a theater bigger than our auditorium. So this is a big, big city. In fact, the, the Roman ruler of Judea, he lived in this city. And so later in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we read that Paul, he goes and has these trials between, before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. Well, that pl take place, takes place in Caesarea. So, so in other words, Caesarea was kind of like a... a Rome for Palestine, really, really big city. And so if you can reach Caesarea, that, that's a doorway through which you can reach a lot of the world. Now, Cornelius, he's a pretty significant character as well. So he, he's a centurion, so that means he's got 100 soldiers under his authority, so he's, he's good at his job. He has a lot of influence there. He's also got a lot of influence in the city. He gives a lot of his money to, to the poor. He's got a pretty large household. And so what we know, of, what we can conclude here is that if you can reach Cornelius with the gospel in the city of Caesarea, you're going to reach a lot of people. And as this story starts to take shape, what we find is that this is exactly what God wants to have. And so here's how God does this. He gives two visions. Vision one goes to Cornelius. And in the vision, Cornelius simply receives this message that he's supposed to go down to Joppa and get Peter. Joppa is a city about 30 miles away on the coast. The second vision goes to Peter in Joppa, and it's this very iconic scene where God sends this sheet down from heaven with these animals. And the main message of that vision is all people are clean in the eyes of God. And Peter, you need to go up and see Cornelius. So these men come and they get Peter. Peter obeys the vision. He goes up. He, he, he meets Cornelius in his household. Peter preaches this amazing sermon. All these people get baptized. It's, it's this amazing revival moment right in the middle of the book of Acts. Now, here's my question. And a lot of you have read this story. A lot of you probably know this story. But here's, here's I, I can't get over this question. Why would God pick Peter? Now, now you might say, well, duh. Peter's like a great apostle. He walked on water. He was pretty close to Jesus. He preached the, the, you know, the sermon in Acts 2. That went really well. Like, he seems to be like the best person for the job. Well, that's, that's partially true, but it's not 100% true. So last week, Andy preached about Philip. Do you know where Philip leaves off, like where he ends up in the story? Uh, Acts tells us, Acts chapter 9, verse 40, Philip traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Philip actually ends up in the city where Cornelius is. And then Philip actually stays there a long time. In fact, later in the book of Acts, this is like 20 years later chronologically, we read this verse. Uh, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. So this means that Philip, 
His home was in Caesarea. Like, this is where he lived. And this guy's really good at converting Gentiles to Jesus. And so the question is, why would God want Peter, who's 30 miles away, when Philip is three blocks away? And it gets even more interesting because Philip's not the only person in the city that could have had great influence over Cornelius. There's another up-and-comer in that same city. Uh, look at this verse, chapter 9, verse 30. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea. Meaning, when the believers learned of this plot to kill a guy, they took him down to Caesarea. Guess who him is? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Fresh off his conversion to Jesus, now this instrument specifically, according to the word of God, to the Gentiles. He's already proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's befuddling all, all these other Jewish thinkers, convincing them that Jesus really is the Messiah, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and he's in Caesarea. So why in the world would God sin for Peter? <coughs> Excuse me. 30 miles away. When either Philip or Paul, they're three minutes away, they could have walked across the street and talk to Cornelius. So the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why God did this, but I'm going to give you my theory. Here's what I think. I think Peter needed Cornelius just as much as Cornelius needed Peter. You see, here's what we know about Peter. Peter had this interesting habit in his life of, of equating his personal opinion with the will of God. Now, you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that, wink, wink. Equating our personal opinion with the will of God. But Peter did do that. So earlier in the Bible, in, in, in the gospel, he would look at Peter and say, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. That was his opinion. And then Jesus would look back at Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of men. So Peter's personal opinion was not exactly the will of God. Or, or later in the gospel, Peter took a sword out and cut off Malchus's ear because Peter's personal opinion was that the kingdom of God would come through power, military, and violence. And Jesus picks the ear off the ground. He puts it back on Malchus's head as if to say, Peter, that's your personal opinion, but that is not the will of God. So Peter has a track record of this. So what's going on in, in this story right now? Well, Peter has this odd opinion that his people are just slightly more privileged than other people. Now, he loves Gentiles, he probably has a few friends that are Gentiles. He's nice to Gentiles. But in the back of his head, he thinks that his people, the Jewish people, are just a little bit better than the Gentiles. They've got the history. They've got the Old Testament. God's obviously been them, with them for a really, really long time. I think this is precisely why God gets Peter 30 miles away rather than Paul and Philip three minutes away. Because Cornelius was not the only person in need of a conversion, Peter was in need of a conversion. You see, Cornelius was converted to Christianity in this story, but Peter was converted to cross-cultural Christianity in this story. Peter was brought into a new vision of what the world really was, which was a world which was beyond nationality, beyond race, and Peter needed to hear that. 
Because the truth is, great leaders can have great blind spots. Great leaders can have great things going on in their world. They can do great things for the world. But it is very possible for great leaders to have great blind spots. This is exactly what was going on with Peter. Peter, as amazing as he was, he did not see the prejudice that he had against the Gentiles. God himself had to tell Peter powerfully, unforgettably, that there is no favored group of people. And this is why Peter finally has the epiphany in the middle of his sermon. He says, Acts 10, verse 34, he says, I now realize that God doesn't show favoritism. And what, one thing that I find odd is like, why wouldn't Peter figure that out during the vision? He's on a roof. God gives him this miraculous vision. And the obvious point is that God doesn't play favorites. But for whatever reason, Peter has the epiphany while he's in the living room of Cornelius's house, seeing the Gentiles come to faith and the light bulb goes off. Oh, God really doesn't see favorites or he doesn't have favorites. You see, Peter's echo chamber broke down when he came into the presence of a, of a group that he actually rejected, and it's an absolutely remarkable story. So on one level, this is the story of Cornelius. On another level, this is the story of Peter, but really in the big picture of things, this is really the story of God. And here's the big point for today. It's a simple point. God himself, I believe, takes great delight in cross-cultural Christian connection. God himself takes great delight in cross-cultural cultural Christian connection. Can't you just see God up in heaven? He sees Cornelius. He sees Peter, and he's like, I got to get these people together. Like, they're going to learn a lot from each other. Cornelius needs to hear about Jesus from Peter, but Peter needs to hear that I've got more than Jews in my family from Cornelius, and so he brings them together. He loves doing this. Uh, last week, uh, oh, uh, for, why do I, not older, former, a friend Mary and I have not seen in a decade uh, came into Edmond, and she texted us and said, hey, I want to get together and hang out with you guys. So she came over to our house, and we, we reconnected. And this friend is really important to us because she's the one that brought us together many, many years ago. So we were in college, and she was friends with me, and she was friends with Mary, and she thought that we might like each other. And so one day, she set up this extremely romantic scenario where the three of us went shoe shopping at Just for Feet. And so we got to this place, and we started talking, and then Mary and I hit it off, and eventually Mary and I started dating and got married. And so we're reconnecting with our, with our old friend, and I, I was reminded at how much joy she got from connecting us. And you've probably had moments like that where, where you have one friend and another friend, and you think you guys could get together and be friends, or maybe, maybe you set up a couple. And do you know how much joy that brings to you and how much joy that brings to me? I think it brings a lot of joy to God. He loves bringing people together. He does it in this story, but he does it all the time. I mean, think about other parts of the Bible. God puts Lydia, who, who's in Philippi, and he brings her together with, with Paul. And, and then she becomes part of the church that supports him on his missionary journeys throughout the rest of the Gospels or throughout the rest of the Bible. Or you think about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Like you've got this Samaritan woman in the middle of nowhere, and you've got Jesus in this other city, and God puts them together like he just... He just, he loves doing this. He, Jesus' mother and John, while Jesus is on the cross, he, he just pulls people together. He loves doing it, and I think he does it today. He pulls his kids from Oklahoma, and he puts them in contact with people from Honduras or people from Vienna or people from Brazil like this. He loves doing it. 
It's the same God. And so the only question today to me is this. God is consistently opening doors so that you and I can connect with people from other parts of the world. But the question is, do you have the time? And do I have the time to walk through those doors? And so today we're going to give you quite a few chances to do just that. I want to give you three ways to connect with people from all over the world. The first way we want to present to you this morning is we want you to listen. If you're in the parking lot, I want you to listen to this two, three-minute clip. If you're at home, you'll get to see a video with, with some images. These are missionaries all over the world answering the question, how is God moving in your part of the world? So listen or watch uh, this clip, and then we'll tell you about the next opportunity. God is working through Xiomara Orasa and through Marco Antonio. He's working through Jonathan, Selvin, Lupe, Enoch, and Alex in Honduras. Every week they are preaching the Word of God for great good. My name is George Onchango. I work with Kenya Church of Christ. The church over here exists in a community that is a place of alcoholics and hard substance abusers. And God is calling these people through this team to baptism. God is moving in Zion. Zagreb, Croatia, through the women's ministry in our church. Vedrana was recently baptized and became our new sister in Christ. Because she has a two-year-old daughter with a severe heart defect waiting for a heart transplant. In the midst of these difficulties, she prays for and with parents and testifies how Jesus is alive today and helping people. God is moving in Zagreb, Croatia through a new Christian organization for teens. Teens don't have many opportunities to come together here, so now they have one. Every Saturday they can come together and grow and worship together. In Hyderabad area of India, God is moving in two tangible ways. Many uh, Christians are stepping up to preach and teach. The church here will have more leaders than before the uh, pre-COVID days. On top of that, God has opened doors for us to provide for the community. So we are, the church here is able to provide uh, food and the basic needs and groceries and vegetables, even the medical care uh, because of this pandemic situation. God is moving in the city of Bauru, in the state of Sao Paulo, in the country of Brazil, by empowering one of our Timothy to travel in order to preach and also in order to give intensive studies the books of the New Testament in a contextualized way. God is moving in Niterói, Brazil through the Timothy Project, an apprentice program that provides on-the-job training for young people interested in working for the church. 32 people from the community have participated in this ministry through Zoom. We're also excited that this ministry has helped produce nine baptisms this year. God is moving in Tauranga, New Zealand. Here in my home office, where through Mission Bible Class, I create free online resources for people who just want to share the Word of God with the children in their lives. Through backpacks and school stationery and even food parcels, we're seeing God move through the lives of people as they discover that Jesus loves them as they are, and we are here to serve them, care for them, and introduce them to the love of God throughout New Zealand. God is moving in Guatemala through health talents as we meet the needs of our patients through telemedicine and reopening of our local clinics. God is moving in Guatemala by the local churches continuing to share the gospel by meeting the needs of their neighbors, by visiting and praying. God is working in Vienna, Austria by empowering one of our church members to use her spiritual gift of connecting people and gathering them together. God is moving in Vienna by continuing to bring us people who are seeking and obeying the gospel through baptism. We're utilizing our backyard 
technology, and even our own living room to speak to people about the life-changing message of Christ. God is moving in Campinas, Brazil, and the Guanabara congregation has taught and preached the gospel all over Brazil using the internet. We have used a Christian radio and TV station every day. Dios está moviendo en el centro de Oklahoma City por medios de la Lighthouse Medical Clinic. God is moving in the center of OKC through the Lighthouse Medical Ministry. Están prohibiendo atención médica gratuita a los que son necesitados. And providing free medical care to those in need. Por las manos de Jesús están cuidando a los enfermos. By being the hands of Jesus and caring for the sick. Están prohibiendo un puente para ellos a Jesús. We are providing others a bridge to know Jesus. God is moving in Artemisa, Cuba through each one of our team by the benevolence with the church and through the relationship with the people. God is moving in Village of Hope, Ghana, West Africa through the education of children. 49th grade students of Hope Christian Academy graduated from elementary school after completing their ninth grade national exam. Now they are moving on into high school and into the world to glorify God with their lives. God is moving. Thank you for listening to that. Uh, great stories from all over the world. Uh, second way we want you to connect with missionaries uh, today is, is our offering. And so, in fact, if I can have the elders and volunteers who are going to hold some of our baskets, if you can make your way to your locations. It is now the time when I'm going to ask if anybody figured out the name of this chest. In fact, if you feel like you know what this is called, can you, I, I actually just want you to come up in front of everybody, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the $20 bill if you got it correct. Anybody? Oh, any takers? You can, sure, you can come up and guess. Seeing as you're the only one, I'd probably just tell you you're right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what is your name? Alex. Alex. Oh, can everybody say hi, Alex? And can you wave to everybody? Okay. So um, what do you think this is? A money. A money chest. That is so close. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whisper something to you so they can't hear you. Just one second. That's correct. Give him a round of applause. Okay. Your name is Alex, right? Okay. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you this $20, and you can go back to your parents, and you get to decide what you're going to do with it, and you have two choices. You can keep it, or you can actually put it in the shofar chest and give it to our missionaries. Okay? I'll I'll let you decide. You want to go talk to your parents or you want to decide right now? Okay, you, you take it and you can go talk. Everybody give a hand uh, for Alex there. Very good. Now, why, why is this important? Here's why this is important. We're going back 2,000 years. This is first century. When people would gather to worship at the temple, here's how giving worked. They would have shofar chests, and they looked very similar to this. It would have been a ram's horn like one of these. Stuffed, stuffed into a box. Uh, thank you, Clark Woodfin, by the way, for making this. And people would walk in and they would place their coins in these chests as they left the temple. And so we decided Mission Sunday 2020, we're going to do our giving first century style. 
We were hoping to get 13 shofar chests for around the parking lot, but we didn't do that. So we have one shofar chest and then 13 baskets all over the parking lot. So here's how this is going to go down. We're going to sing a song about gratitude and thanking God for, um, for all he's done for us. And what I'd like you to do is, is actually everybody go ahead and stand up right now. While we sing this song, I want you to go find an elder or a volunteer with a basket close to you, or I'm going to set this on the parking lot right in front of me. You can actually come put your money in the real shofar chest, or you can put it in a basket uh, throughout the parking lot. Let's go ahead and sing and praise God. For all that you've done.